Well, hello, everybody. This is Rabbi Dan Levin, and this is Essential Questions. Hello, everyone. This is another special edition of Essential Questions. And we are blessed to have a remarkable webinar that was produced by my colleague, Rabbi Greg Weissman, called Responding to the War, an update from Ben-Gurion University of the Negev. Ensconced in Beersheba, in the middle of the Negev Desert, Ben-Gurion University is a remarkable institution and also was nearly on the front lines of Hamas's incursion into southern Israel and is in many ways at the doorstep of the current war that is unfolding in Gaza. And we have two remarkable guests, Professor Simon Barak and Dana Garvish Friedman, who will be joining Rabbi Weissman in a webinar which we present to you here as part of our podcast. We hope that you will enjoy this very special presentation. A few weeks ago on October 7, 2023, terrorists from Gaza infiltrated the Jewish communities across the border in our people's homeland of Israel. They committed acts of barbarity that had not been seen in generations. And since then, the eyes and the hearts of the Jewish people and people around the world have been looking to Israel, and in particular to the area of Israel that has been part of the Zionist dream of making the desert bloom, the region of the south and of the Negev Desert. And beginning on that very first day on October 7th, there was one institution based on its proximity to what was going on in the Negev, which has mobilized its resources and to support both the residents of the South and Israel's national response, including the work of the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces. And that institution is Ben-Gurion University of the Negev. BGU is unique among Israeli institutions. It is the only Israeli university that was created by a government mandate established in 1969 with a mission to be an engine for the development of Israel's Negev region. It was inspired by the vision of Israel's first prime minister, David Ben-Gurion, who believed that the future of Israel lay in the Negev region, a desert area comprising more than 60% of the country. Today, BGU is a world-renowned institution of research and higher learning that has transcended the boundaries of academia, creating a new model of education and research that impacts people's lives in the region, throughout Israel and around the world, with the fingers of its work reaching all the way here to South Florida and to Boca Raton, as we'll learn about a little bit later in this hour. Sissy Zoller, who is the Director of Development for Americans for Ben Gurion University, who did the work to arrange for our fantastic guests from BGU to be with us today. And a word of thanks to our team here at Temple Bethel, to Susan Stallone, Jason Reeser, and Amanda Brenzel for making today possible. Today, we are joined by two leaders from the Ben Gurion University community, Professor Simon Barak and Dana Gavish. Professor Barak is a member of the French Associates Institute for Agriculture and Biotechnology of Drylands at BGU's Jacob Blaustein Institutes for Desert Research. Dana Gavish is the VP of Entrepreneurship at Ben Gurion University and is the primary liaison between the university, business partners, startups, venture capital companies, and multinationals. Donna and Simon, thank you so much for joining us today, and you'll be sharing with us an update from the Negev, from near the front lines of Gaza and the Gaza envelope. You'll be sharing with us how the attack on October 7th affected the university community, the region, and a little bit of yourselves personally. 
including the work of Soroka University Medical Center, which has responded incredibly to the needs of being the major hospital in the region, treating the victims of the attack and the ongoing situation. Simon and Donna, Bruchim Habaim, welcome and thank you so much for joining us on what must be a very stressful and busy time for the both of you. Welcome. Thank you very much, uh, Rabbi Weissman. Thank you very much, and uh, everybody. Thank you so much, everybody, for uh, joining us. We're really honored to, to be with you, to uh, to have you to listen and, and to discuss, as, uh, as Rabbi Weissman said. I think Rabbi Weissman's already introduced me enough. Um, I will just say that I'm from the Stebelcare campus. Uh, the Jacob Blaustein Institutes for Desert Research is on the Stebelcare campus, which is about 60 kilometers south of Belsheva and about 60 kilometers east of the Gaza Strip. And it's situated in the village of Midreshet Ben-Gurion, where uh, David Ben-Gurion is buried. Dana. Yeah, hello, everyone. I'm sorry, I cannot see your faces, but it really is an honor to speak with you, for you today. And thank you so much um, uh, for this invitation. I'll tell you a little bit what we plan. And and uh, I mean, we could be flexible later on with uh, Q&A. The purpose of this talk is to, first of all, share with you our experiences and what has happened at Ben Gurion University since October 7th. We also realize that it's not only us here that are going through this dreadful experience, but also you at your end probably are feeling very different. Uh, there's, there's a huge difference between what the day before and the day after, probably also at your end. So uh, we're happy to share and of course, share a little bit about our personal experiences, because I'm not sure that everyone in the audience actually knows Ben Gurion University of the Negev very well. Then we'll also say a few words about what happens in normal, <laughs> normal times and normal life, because Ben Gurion University is a very happy place, full of vision and doing, and it's also really very uh, important for us to say that uh, at the very beginning and perhaps later on. So I'll start by saying that the university is the only university in Israel's Negev region and is probably the most impacted one by the events that happened uh, on October 7th. The university is about 40 kilometers at the city of Be'er Sheva, 40 kilometers from the Gaza Strip. And the events on that Shabbat caught us literally on the verge of starting the, the fall semester. So we were ready at the end of the holidays to start the fall semester. That means that many of our students already came to live in Belsheva and the surrounding areas uh, and also attended the party, that um, Nova party. And we're ready to start their studies. Also, many uh, university employees live in the villages at the Western Negev and in Be'er Sheva, and uh, are still being very much influenced by uh, what is happening. Um, as we speak right now, I think about five minutes ago, we got alarms from uh, uh, the sirens going off in Be'er Sheva. So um, one thing that is very clear is the fact that this happened on October 7th, and it goes on. So we are at a very long event. It's been almost four weeks now, and the event is ongoing. This isn't something that happened and now we suffer consequences. This is ongoing with literally 
war continuing until uh, this very minute. So as you can imagine, there's a lot of stress and some, uh, some fatigue going on after four weeks. But I would like to take you to uh, that date and say that on that date, the university has suffered casualties, about uh, 50 of our staff members and uh, students. We lost them and, the, you know, and, and, and they died on that event. Uh, eight people were kidnapped, students as well as university employees. And we are still living this uh, hope that uh, we will uh, still be able to see them back with us. I can tell you that personally, for me, one of the hardest moments was to actually get a phone call saying that one of our students, Noah Gamani, was uh, kidnapped. Noah was supposed to start her fall semester at our leaders program as a part of the uh, entrepreneurship center. It's not so easy to uh, to get accepted to that program. It is called leaders, and Noah is an exceptional student to get into that program. Uh, we all saw her. Uh, on that motorbike as she's reaching out for help, crying out to her boyfriend, which was just heartbreaking. So when I got that phone call, understanding that she is one of ours, it really was hard to, hard to imagine and to to take. And we're still waiting for her and for her boyfriend, Avinatan, to, to, to come home safely. It is now clear that the scale of what has happened is is simply unbelievable. I think that uh, I've heard uh, somewhere that it is about 20 times the scale of 9-11. So obviously, everyone in Israel is impacted in some way, whether it is the outer circle or the inner circle, everybody knows each other here. So if you don't know someone in your close circle, it's probably your neighbor. Uh, but but that is uh, uh, the situation at the moment. Uh, the numbers are simply hard to grasp. From the very beginning, the university pulled together and, and started being very, very active from the university management to the university students. And we'll talk about this a little later. I can tell you that as a mother to a soldier, we are now very much sitting like close to our phones and our mobile phones, waiting to hear from them. My son is a Navy SEAL. He happened to be home on that Shabbat at the holiday. So he just jumped out of bed. Uh, it wasn't easy putting all his clothes very, very quickly to the dryer and sending him off. So, so this is something that wasn't easy to kind of let go and say goodbye, though it was clear that we need to act very, very soon. Simon, would you like to share your day? Yeah, so uh, thanks, Donna. <clears throat> so my day, well, our day start on the 7th of October. Um, we were woken up at about um, 6, I think it must have been about 6.20 in the morning by sirens. Now, that never happens in the Midrasha. All the wars we've been through, the operations, the missiles, never a siren in Midrasha. So when we heard, I, looked, I turned to my wife and I said to her, really? Here? And we sort of got out of bed a bit bewildered. And about a minute later, we heard a massive explosion as a missile uh, landed right near um, where we live. So immediately we realized this was, um, like many Israelis, we realized that this was something different. And as the news began filtering through about this massive attack on the um, Western Negev border communities, I have uh, friends in Kibbutz near Oz, he's actually an employee here at in the, in the Stebble Care campus. I texted him. I didn't want to phone him because I didn't want 
where he was to be revealed. So I, I, I quickly texted him and he was in with his wife in their so-called safe room, which we know now is not so safe. And he said, he texted me that he could hear the terrorists outside. He could hear shots outside. He said to me, we're not panicking, but we're absolutely uh, petrified. Thank God they survived. They were rescued by the army many hours later. And he said to me, as he was going <clears throat> out through the kitchen of his house, which was all black, he felt this incredible heat from the kitchen, which he'd he'd never felt before. He said, really, really hot. And there was a broken pipe with water gushing out that was actually boiling. And when he came out of the house, he looked back, that whole side of the house was cracked and black. And uh, he surmises that this was one of these um, thermobaric rocket-propelled grenades that Iran supplied to Hamas, which temperatures can cause temperatures to go up to over 2,000 degrees. And that's maybe what hit the house. I spoke to him a few days later on Monday, and he said to me as he'd come out of his house, and he looked uh, to the house, uh, his neighbor's house, that whole house was black. And on that Monday I was speaking to him, he said, my neighbors are still in their safe room. In other words, they'd either burnt to death or they had asphyxiated to death. My wife's niece was at the music festival that was attacked. Um, luckily, she escaped, and it was just blind luck. It happened to be where you ran, or if you got a vehicle to take you, or that vehicle went the right way, you may, might have survived. So thank God she survived. I'm actually meant to be at a funeral now. Um, yesterday, we got the news that um, uh, Omar Sargosti, who is a soldier who was fighting uh, in the Israel Defense Forces, was killed yesterday. And he's a member of uh, um, a farm which is right near the Midrashah. So we were meant to be in a funeral. I'm meant to be in a funeral now in Kibbutz Debokel. And as Dana said, uh, we're also personally affected by our children being in the army. My, my son is was called up straight away. Now, when you think of war, the first thing that probably does not come to your mind are fashion designers. Um, my daughter is a fashion designer, and she's just graduated from Shenkal. And Shenkal called all their graduates back to Shenkal to start sewing equipment for the army, whether it's uh, protective vests or um, accessories for the for rifle for guns. And I think this really brings us to two messages I think that Dana and I want to uh, impart to you. Uh, on the one hand, we've been through this really massive trauma and tragedy uh, in Israel. But on the other hand, we've seen this incredible coming together uh, of, of, of Israel, this amazing Israeli spirits, whether it's Jew, Jews or Druze or Arabs, this amazing coming uh, together and the volunteerism, whether it is people opening their houses to evacuees from the communities, whether it's people who rushed to Soroka Hospital to give donations or to volunteer or to whatever, whether um, it is people going down to uh, the, the communities now and volunteering to pick the harvest, whether it's even the ultra-Orthodox man who on a Shabbat went to JFK airport with a credit card of a half a million dollars, paying for the flights of every Israeli who'd been called up to the army. This is really a, a, an incredible um, coming together. And yesterday was published on the Israeli news that one in two, 50% of the Israeli population is volunteering. Uh, that is incredible. Uh, it's like a, a hundred and whatever, 120. 50 
million people in, in America are volunteering. So um, what Dana and I would like to do is we would like to tell you a little bit about what the university as a microcosm of Israel has been doing to uh, help both in the civilian side uh, and military side. Dana will tell you uh, what's been going on on the main campus in Belsheva, and I'll tell you a little bit about what's going on in the campus in Stebokir. Yes. So as we said, a tragedy and huge, amazing, such incredible doing by people who simply rushed to do. So what happened is we all did it. We all simply rushed, whether it's our students, about 2,000 students of our medical campus, nursing students, social workers, medical students, simply rushed to Soroka Hospital to help. 900 wounded people were received on October 7th by this hospital. These are numbers that no hospital can treat. 900 gunshots, people wounded severely. 2,000 of our students simply rushed to the hospital to help. Some of them saying that they have never, ever seen a gunshot wound before, and now they saw many. And they had to treat them. They simply had to help. So we're so proud of our students that stayed there for days, helping to treat the wounded uh, uh, with the hospital staff. Also, very quickly, there was a strategic hall center that was uh, put up literally underground under the student center. So the student center is a big building in the middle of the uh, Belsheva campus. Underneath it, there's a huge space that is usually not that occupied. Nobody wants to be underground, but now it is a safe place for a strategic call center that is literally helping people all over Belsheva with their needs. People call. Uh, the call center asking for uh, their drugs to be uh, uh, taken from place to place. Anything they need, vegetables, uh, washing, whatever, people simply help because nobody can leave home because of the missiles. So uh, that is where uh, the strategic uh, work is being going on. People collected clothes and food and anything cooked for the uh, soldiers, for uh, elderly people a lot of help was needed and it's still been going on right now so so these centers have been actually active three and a half weeks which is a long time i can also say that very close right afterwards uh what happened was that the university had to start uh taking care of its students and uh each student at bgu received a phone call from somewhere in their designated department asking how they are, if they needed any help. University keeps in touch with uh, its students all the time, which is so important because people are literally scattered around right now. We have about 1,200 staff and student that, students that are now in the army. They are doing army reserves. They're all over the place. I keep in touch with my staff. Over half of my staff are young students. They work for the university and for the Entrepreneurship Center. And I talk to them 
I try to not talk to them too much because they're busy fighting right now. But I, every like two or three days, I send a WhatsApp text and hoping that they can answer. So I really worry about them and I'm in touch all the time. I think it is so important. One more thing we did at the Entrepreneurship Center is together uh, with the student union uh, and with the social impact um, uh, departments, we started a fund immediately started a fund. Uh, we put in the money, the director general put in money, a fund for entrepreneurial endeavors that are here to help all the new needs that are now on the table. So we've had very interesting projects and people could apply with like no time and they receive the money tomorrow morning. So we have daily uh, committees now to decide who receives funding and the nice thing is that most of the people that have applied already started. They didn't wait for funding or anything. They just started. And then they saw that we had this fund, so they applied for further funding. Uh, different examples uh, to projects that we've supported is uh, one of our leaders' alumni. Uh, she's called Harduf. She sat at home asking herself, where can I volunteer? How can I find places? And then she created a bot that connected between places that need volunteers and people who wish to volunteer because everything is very chaotic. Now her bot is called Israela and it, hundreds of people, hundreds of thousands of people are already using it uh, to, to find uh, uh, places they can volunteer uh, near their homes. Another uh, amazing endeavor that we've supported is that we had uh, about 200 students from industrial engineering that uh, simply scattered together uh, all the 3D printers at the university and started printing gear equipment that the soldiers need. So because there was a lot of chaos, Israel has recruited suddenly hundreds of thousands of people and there was a lack of gear sometimes. There, there was shortage. People said, I need gloves, I need something for to hold the gun right, a belt, whatever. They started 3D printing. So they're still going on. It is hundreds of students that are now doing these 3D printings, uh, which is lovely. Another uh, staff member of the university uh, gathered all her department from uh, social, uh, uh, social workers department uh, to help with a new endeavor for uh, the prevention of PTSD. So different ideas and we've just helped them all. It's great to see that they continue now. We're also now starting a new entrepreneurship course to guide them how to continue and help them uh, grow their endeavors. University management has been so efficient in, in helping the employees. So obviously people stayed at home with their children. They couldn't come. There's a lot of anxiety and the university simply helped facilitate whoever needed help. Danny Chamovitz, our university president, held a daily, uh, a daily journal where he uh, simply wrote his experiences. The university management has been going literally from funeral to funeral, from Shiva to Shiva. They took a decision that in every funeral and in every Shiva, there will be uh, uh, someone from the university management and they have been doing that. So very active in that way. And lastly, I'd like to mention the fact that 
there is uh, a lot of action going on in social media. And this is something that anyone really can help do. And the university president has been so active in interviews to CNN and uh, uh, NBC News and you name it, Times of Israel and other uh, websites and televisions, simply explaining what happened at the university and the fact that it will continue to, to operate and, uh, and to live and go on. So I, I'll, I'd just like to say this, this university is a happy place. Uh, just like the, the happy slide behind me, this is what our entrepreneurship hub looks like. It's a beautiful place. Simon and I, we know why we wake up in the morning, open our eyes and go to work. It, it, the vision has never changed. It is Ben-Gurion's vision to develop the Negev, the answer to all evil to all evil is that we will continue. And the story of resilience and the fact that the university shall continue, shall live on, the semester eventually will start. Whether we have to wait another month or two, it will start. We're waiting for our soldiers to come back and we will start uh, the school year. And I'd like to, to kind of say, I'd like to leave you with this message because we are strong and we will continue and our students will come back to campus. It will continue to be a happy place while we remember everything that happened and all those beautiful souls that we lost. Simon? Thanks, Donna. I'll tell you just very briefly uh, what's been going on on the Stebelke campus. So the Stebelke campus not just doesn't just have the Jacob Blaustein Institutes for Desert Research. It also has the Ben-Gurion Research Institute for the study of Israel and Zionism and Ben-Gurion uh, archives. Now, we have only graduate students here, masters and PhDs and postdocs, and 50% of our students are international students. And so the war has had a massive effect on the international students. A large, um, many of them, even a majority of them actually have left. So we had 30 Indian students, for instance, we have uh, three Indian students left. They didn't leave because they wanted to, but because mainly because of family pressure from abroad. So if you can imagine Indian students saying to their parents that it's we're, we're safe, we're only we're 60 kilometers from the Gaza Strip. Well, they live in India, 60 kilometers is not very far and Israel's a dot on the map. So um, that pressure uh, made them leave. And of course that's had uh, major implications for research programs which have been shut down or <clears throat> severely damaged, not just in the Stebok Air Campus, but in main campus as well, because many of the uh, researchers and students have been called up. So although that's a minor thing in the whole current story, of course, this is gonna have major implications for the university uh, in the future. So what have we been doing here? Well, first of all, we've opened up all our dormitories to evacuees from the um, Gaza, from the uh, Western Negev border communities. We have many evacuees here in the Midrashah. We've opened them up. They've had food. They've had complementary activities within the village for their children. We've opened up uh, university facilities for the two army units that we have stationed in um, the Midrashah, uh, allowing them to use our, um, our facilities. We, of course, are helping and supporting the students that have remained here, both Israeli and um, international students. So, for instance, we've had um, communal get-togethers and dinners and uh, coffee, which include the students and the faculty and the technical and administrative staff. And we're providing uh, psychological um, services for the students as well. Many of our faculty 
have volunteered on farms to help bring in the harvest, not just farms on the uh, Gaza community, uh, the Gaza, uh, I keep saying the Gaza, we want to change, we want to define ourselves, on the Western Negev border communities, but also in the communities near us, because many of the farmers have gone on, uh, have been called up, and many of the foreign workers, Thai workers, for instance, who were working on the farms um, have left. We also have some of our faculty volunteering in what in Hebrew is called the Kita Kononot, which is like an emergency military response unit that each community has. These units in some of the um, border communities saved many, many, many lives. So we have some of our uh, faculty who have military experience. Uh, doing that. The one last thing I'd like to say about volunteerism is that um, I'm a founding member of uh, uh, BGU Radio. I can see uh, Rabbi Weissman seems to be in a super radio studio and he seems like a real radio personality as I've just been talking uh, to him. We've been doing a lot of volunteerism. I'll just give you one example. Um, in Belsheva, all the high school students and primary school students are stuck at home just like they were in COVID. So they've gone back to this being at home, trying to learn from home, which is very difficult. And th this is a completely different situation with missiles coming over. And so what we've done is we've gone to different schools, primary schools mainly, but we're starting with secondary uh, uh, high schools as well. And we bring them, we connect the students uh, onto Zoom with our studios. And it's a live broadcast on the internet, also recorded, but it's a live broadcast. And each child can talk about what they're going through, whatever they really like, actually. And then they get to choose a song to play live in the broadcast. And we've done this with over now over 100 uh, high, primary school students in Beersheba. OK, so before um, we hand over to Seth, I'd just like to finish with uh, two thoughts. The first is that about two days after the attack, we have an emeritus professor here called Professor Ilan Troyn, an amazing, amazing person, incredibly eloquent. He lost his daughter and his son-in-law in an attack on Cholit, which is near the Gaza, Gaza Strip. And two days after this, even before the funeral, he came on and spoke to supporters of the university. It was incredibly moving. And I think that if you go to the university website, you can actually get a link to this. But during this, he said something which really struck me. He said, on that Shabbat was Simchat Torah. And on Simchat Torah, we read the last parasha of the Torah, which speaks about the death of Moses, which was an incredibly traumatic period for the Israelites, for the Jewish people. And he said, the next Shabbat, we start the Torah again, and we read about creation, the affirmation of life, let there be light. And this really struck me as this juxtaposition between the, the trauma that Israel has gone through, and this incredible coming together of the Israeli and the Jewish uh, spirit. The second thing, I think, and I'm speaking, of course, for Dana as well, she already alluded to this, is that we absolutely realize what you're going through there. We're so aware of it, whether it's the stress of having family and friends or just seeing what is going on in Israel, whether it is the incredibly energy-draining frustration of seeing how Israel is portrayed in the media, and whether it is the awful rise in anti-Semitism that we are seeing in all your communities. And this isn't just regular verbal anti-Semitism that we've been seeing in the past, but this is genocidal remarks and physical attacks that are going on. So we know what you're going through, and we're all in this 
together. So with that, Darren and I would like to hand over to Seth. Thank you. Thank you so much, Simon and Donna. Thank you so much for the update uh, from BGU. We're, we're all amazed by everything that you were doing today uh, and everything you do during you know the normal times. Uh, Simon, the last time I saw you uh, in, in March, uh, we were at uh, David Ben-Gurion's gravesite in Stebo Care. Uh, our group on the Zinn Fellows Leadership Program was reflecting on Ben-Gurion's immense contributions throughout his full, rich life, contributions perhaps as countless as the words in all the books of his libraries. It's wonderful to see you again today, of course, but tragic that we've been brought together because of the existence of 1,400 new gravesites for the people who were brutally massacred on October 7th, a tragedy that cut short the lives of the fullness and richness that they all deserved, something Ben-Gurion himself worked so hard to guarantee. We've all used the phrase turning in one's grave, and Ben-Gurion is surely turning in his, just an hour's drive or less from where the massacres occurred. Before we get to questions, uh, I want to highlight an especially meaningful connection between Boca Raton uh, and Ben-Gurion University, and actually a connection between Boca and this war. Thanks to a Boca resident, uh, BGU now has a state-of-the-art medical simulation and classroom building. Just this past May, the medical simulation building on BGU's campus was officially dedicated in a ceremony here in Boca. Thanks to a generous donation by Rachel Javitt, and her family, uh, the Rachel and Max Javitt Medical Simulation and Classroom Building is now playing a pivotal role in the war. Israel's paramedics, soldiers, medical students, and doctors, including those volunteering from abroad, are training for the war uh, efforts at this center. A center intended for education and training in the best of times has now been called up to duty, so to speak. Both Rachel Javitt and her beloved husband of 63 years, Max, who was a member of A4BGU's national board before passing away in 2019, should be incredibly proud of this life-saving contribution. We have to face the fact, though, that while the dedication of the building was happening in May at the Sinai residences just off of Glaze Road here, the horrific October 7th massacre was being planned in Gaza. While the Medical Simulation Center was designed to be capable of its current use, I don't think the scenario was ever expected. We were all assured by the universally accepted promise of never again, that in this case, history would not repeat itself. Never again would a pogrom happen, but it did. Amazingly, the, well, let's call it the Sinai Residence Covenant that Rachel Javits made with BGU and with Israel has played an outsized role in ensuring the safety of the IDF. Next time you are sitting in traffic on Glades Road, let that be a reminder of the power you have to make a difference. Just a day before I stood with Simon at Begurian's gravesite, I had the honor of meeting Dr. Oren Wacht. Dr. Wacht is BGU's Head of Emergency Medicine Services and the Medical Director of the Javit Medical Simulation and Classroom Building that we've been talking about. Dr. Wacht has actually now been called to IDF Reserves as a paramedic. Uh, he took a, Dr. Walk took a few minutes to make a video for us to share with people here uh, in the U.S. We'd love to share that video with everyone, and then I'll turn it over to Rabbi Greg uh, for Q and A. Um, and then I'll after that I'll share some information on BGU's emergency 
experts through the uh, NEGEP Prevails Emergency Fund and share that information with you. So if we can play Dr. Walk's video now, thank you so much. Hello, my name is Dr. Oren Wacht. Um, I would like to thank you in this video for your support. Uh, all the BG, BGU community uh, is supporting us uh, from the US and from all around the world, and this means the world for us. Um, Saturday, last Saturday morning, uh, we were woken up by an alarm in uh, Beersheba and uh, all around the Gaza Strip. Um, unfortunately, uh, many from our community have been murdered, uh, but we feel strong, uh, mainly because uh, of the support of the BGU community and your support. Uh, on Saturday, uh, I was called uh, to our uh, uh, EMS, uh, and unfortunately, I had to treat uh, a few of our friends and colleagues who, who have been murdered. Uh, Sunday morning, I was drafted to the military, uh, to a medical unit. Uh, since then, in the last uh, nine days, uh, I've been serving in the IDF as a paramedic. Um, although these are very tough times for us, um, we know that we will prevail and uh, we will come out victorious from this event. And, and I would like to thank you for all your support and what you're doing for us is very meaningful. Thank you. you, Seth. Thank you, Donna. Thank you, Simon, so much for sharing all this with us. I'm watching and listening and processing, and my heart is breaking and my spirit is also being lifted up all, all at the same time. BGU and the communities of the South and Negev and the Western part is in such a precarious position, and it is so inspiring to hear about how the members of the university community have rallied to the support of the people closest to them and in various concentric circles going out from there. I have a couple of questions for Donna and Simon, for the both of you, and I, I want to ask you to answer them as your individual selves, not necessarily as employees of the university. I want to ask about that because I think that it's Fair to suggest that the two of you are really great examples of what it means to be an Israeli right now. Each of you mentioned that you have children who are currently serving in the IDF and in serving in the various parts of the Israeli military. And so I want to ask you both, what is it like to be a parent with your children on the front lines? And I'll you can answer that however you want, but I have one one particular question if you can answer, which is, how frequently and in what context are you able to communicate with your children who are are serving? And so if you could answer that and then just what how do you get through the day knowing that your child is in harm's way? Yeah, you can see from my face it's not an easy uh, question and it's not an easy answer. I think it's a, the answer is is probably different uh, for each mom or dad at the moment. So as I said, it wasn't easy to send him off. Uh, my son uh, doesn't come home a lot uh, in his army service. As I said, he's a SEAL, so we don't have a lot of communication with him. He was actually at home on, on that Shabbat, and he was, as, as soldiers do, when they do come home, usually they party with their friends because they, they make, uh, make every second count. So he was actually out uh, with his friends until, I think, 4 a.m., on Friday, so I I woke up, and you need to understand, I don't live near Be'er Sheva. I, near, I live near Jerusalem in, in Surah Hadassah, so that is quite far from, from the Negev and definitely from the Gaza Strip. And I woke up just from hearing Iron Dome, 
I heard so many blasts that I start I, I suddenly suddenly woke up even before the siren and I said, okay, if that's what I'm hearing, war must have started. It was clear to me that this is war, that this is unusual. I've never heard so much bombing in my life. And I'm really far, miles and miles away from, from where it happened. So I woke up, I heard that. And then I started thinking, I know, I know he came back at 4 a.m. Am I going to wake him up? Because clearly they're going to call him in. I knew it was just around, but I was like, I'm a mom, so I want him to sleep. I want, I want him to get some arrest, and I knew he didn't, he didn't really get arrest. By the time me and my husband started debating whether we should or not wake him up, there was a siren. So that ended the conversation, and we all jumped and went to the safe room, and then he just uh, drove off. Yeah, so, so it's not easy. Uh, he is in communication. It's different from soldier to soldier. It depends where they are right now. If they're in Gaza, there's nothing, you know, if they're underwater, there's nothing. Who knows? You know, so it's very different. I can tell you that um, yesterday, as I said, this is an ongoing event. So we're still living this. There's a war. Uh, two of my classmates, I went to the funeral yesterday of their son. Two classmates who were high school sweethearts. Three children buried one of their sons who was a Gifati soldier who was killed the day before yesterday. So it's hard to uh, experience all this grief, really. And the events keep on coming. That's my story as a mom, really. Yeah, so um, my son had actually just come back from, you know, Israelis after the army. They go on their big, uh, their big trip. Uh, around the world. So he had just come back from his big six months trip to the Far East, was just getting ready to plan, planning the next stage of his life. And uh, yeah, like Dana said, as soon as we heard the sirens we, and we heard what was going on, we knew he would be called up. So my son, um, as opposed to Dana's, is not on the front lines. He's in, an operate, he's in an operational intelligence unit. That's about all I can tell you. So we're not so worried for his physical um, well-being, but knowing what he does, we know mentally it's going, it, it is incredibly stressful. Um, I can't really say more than that, but I, we don't really see him much. Luck, actually, he was home for one day. He got some uh, rest and rec R&R &R for one day, so he was home, which was nice, but we don't see him that much unless he's doing um, a day shift, which some, means he can sometimes come home and sleep here. But I think that for those who, who have so sons and relatives or fathers or whatever, or mothers uh, in, the, in the idea have been called up, this is different. This is a different fight. This is not just a fight um, for Israel's existence in, or how we're actually going to live here, because if we don't sort this out with Hamas, people are not going to go back to the border communities. If we don't sort this out on the northern border, People are not going to go back to the northern communities and Israel will be a very, very precarious place to live. And so <clears throat> and the other thing is, this is a fight of good against evil. This is, we, can, we can argue politically, should there be a Palestinian state? Should there be a Palestinian? It doesn't matter. This is a fight against pure, unadulterated, absolute evil. And this is a fight, although many in humanity are not appreciating it, for humanity. And so I think that all Israelis who have relatives in the army realize this is a no choice. 
and 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 although we know that in any war there's going to be sacrifices this is a no choice uh, war so on the one hand we, we we're so worried we feel it but on the other hand we just realize that there's absolutely no choice this time Simon, you speak of someone who has is looking at their future right in the face and with good reason is wondering, how do we move forward from here? Um, and obviously, we wish the IDF all the success that they can possibly find to protect not only the residents of the Western Negev, but the state of Israel, the Jewish people, and as you mentioned, humanity in general. I want to ask you now to think about your role as professionals at the university as a microcosm for what the work university is doing. What is happening on campus? You mentioned, Donna, that, that classes are not in session. The semester hasn't started yet. Simon, you're a researcher, right? There are other programs, the entrepreneurship. What is happening? What is the university allowed to continue doing that they were doing before the war began? What's the great work of BGU that continues despite what's going on? And what, is, what are some of the ways in which you personally, what was the first thing that you had to do differently as a professional, not as a parent, not as a family member, but as a professional what was the first part of your work that changed after the events of October the 7th? The first thing I had to do is I am the student ombudsman at uh, in the Stable Care campus. So actually, my first thing I actually did as soon as the sirens came was to make a, a, a quick call at 6.20 in the morning to the people who are responsible for opening the shelters here. Uh, and then I had was inundated with students calling me, asking what was going on, providing them information, meeting with them, making sure that they were OK. And then um, having to deal with the international students who really didn't know what to do and whether to go home or not to go home. So that was that whole week I was dealing uh, a lot with 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 those students. As far as what the university is allowed to do, I'll leave the teaching part to, to Dana will explain to you as far as whether teaching is going on or not. But as far as research is going on, of, of course, as I said to you, that a lot of research programs have stopped uh, because many of our students have gone abroad. But we are still in contact with them. So, for instance, with my lab, I have one student left from Holland. My, all my other students and postdocs have left. So I have one student and one technician. So we are maintaining all the students as much as we can, their experiments, their plants, to keep everything as much as we can maintained. And we had a lab meeting yesterday because I think, and all of our researchers realise, it's extremely important to keep our lab families together because our students are our family as well. And it doesn't matter where they're from. So we have a lab meetings. We keep... Um, we keep uh, in contact with each other. Some of them are still working while they're abroad. Keeping uh, keeping contact is extremely important. So Zoom meetings are going on uh, as far as research is, uh, is going on. So that's really what I have to say uh, uh, as far as the Stable Care campus was concerned and research. Simon, a quick follow-up before Donna, yeah, yeah. I turn to you. Sure. How are you able to keep up the research in your lab safely, right? There's still a war going on literally in your backyard. So what are the type of precautions you need to take? Uh, and this could be the work that you're doing. And, and also, Don, if you want to answer this and talking mm -hmm. about the volunteerism that the bots are, are able to, that Israela is able to build, how can the functioning go on with the safety of the volunteers and the staff and the students who are there? How are you keeping that in mind as well? So on the Stebelcare campus, as I told you, it's very, very rare that we get a siren. So since that um, since that Shabbat, we haven't had any sirens in Stebelcare. So people can come to the labs. They can, um, if they're still here, they can do their research. We have shelters all over the campus, including within 
the actual lab buildings so they can go into shelters no problem if there is so life in stable care for those who are here we are trying to keep it as normal as possible for the students bearing in mind that they are under stress and many of the students are volunteering as well and by volunteering and keeping themselves busy that also helps um, with their mental health while they're here to, to answer your first question everything changed nothing is normal we are not okay so so just to say this there's no way around this okay everything has changed there is no semester going on uh as i said over half of my team is recruited so even if i wanted to teach i can't i don't have my team with me and we will not start the semester before our students are back safe the other side of things is amazing resilience really amazing resilience if the answer is to all this grief and to you know having the campus empty is do just find something to do so everyone is doing whether it is some of my employees that did have zoom meetings with their students and didn't start their, their routine program because that is on hold but still had some kind of content on zoom or just saying hello and that we're waiting to start you know keeping in touch really helps and also being busy so everybody volunteers everyone around us are are starting to to get a feeling that they want some kind of normality so perhaps they'll have a zoom with their team but not really teach and the amazing story of resilience is just incredible really so i can tell you that the university management has opened a daycare for kids for employees kids so to allow employees, if you want them in the campus, you need to have their kids safe. So obviously it's a safe place, a safe room, but it's possible to bring your kids to, to campus and actually go and work for a couple of hours. Trying to maintain some kind of routine that is familiar helps, really does help. And, and I think I find a lot of strength in that. I can tell you that one of the first things I did was simply text Danny Chanovitz and Jeff Kay, who's responsible for all the being touched with all the uh, Jewish communities and said, please give me a job. And this is why I talk to you right now. I think Simon did the same. We were like, exactly. give us a job. Let us do something to feel that we help. And, and this is something that, that we probably should say thank you to you because it gives us some kind of uh, uh, a sense of, uh, of uh, purpose uh, in this chaos. So, these two messages keep on going as we go through this talk, the story of uh, devastation and, and, and chaos while trying to keep up and a lot of resilience. And the truth is we have no other choice and we will live on and we will continue. So, so this, is, this is how we've, we see things. I'd just like to add one more thing that Sadana said about the fact what helps us a lot she said keeping busy and I say keeping busy but the other thing that really helps everybody and it probably helps you as well when you get it is people writing to us expressing their support so I've bumped in I've had messages from people who who are not Jewish I've bumped into at conferences scientific conferences who've sent me um right. we're thinking of you we've, we're supporting you people who I've met from Jewish communities in America writing to me you've maybe probably had that as well as well, people write into your friends. I can't tell you what an uplifting feeling it gives us 
all of us to feel that we're not alone. So that's also really, really, I think, really helps us. Thank you both. It's listening to this. I, I'm always reminded of as much as we live thousands of miles apart or thousands of kilometers apart, the similarities between Jews in the U.S. and, and Jews in Israel. And, and I can't thank you, Simon Dana, so much for your recognition of how hard it is for us in America, A, to be watching this and the sense of helplessness that a lot of American Jews are feeling right now, and also with the rise of concerns around anti-Semitism and security for us here in the U.S. But knowing that you're wondering how you can be helpful and that we are wondering how we can be helpful and that together we can wonder and support one another. I cannot thank you enough for the time that you spent with us today and sharing with us what's going on so that we can A, be an outlet for you to feel like you're keeping a sense of purpose and you're giving us a sense of purpose in being connected. And to that end, I want to bring Seth Harlan back in to talk about what are some other ways that folks here in the U.S. can be supportive of that. And Donna, you used the word multiple times, that sense of resilience that we all want to embody in this moment. So Seth, please. Thank you, Rabbi Greg. So the last image I want to leave you with is to imagine that, you know, locally FAU or the University of Miami had to convert their entire campuses into a war operations center, or refugee centers and barracks. And as Simon and Donna have shared, this is what happened to BGU, where people are typically running to class, going to coffee shops, or playing soccer. BGU wasn't designed to do this, but it's doing it well. Americans for BGU set up what's now called the Negev Prevails Emergency Fund to support all of the work Simon and Donna talked about today, and there's certainly more information we can share. Um, any help you can offer would be incredibly appreciated. I'm convinced that the dedication that happened in May at the Sinai residences carries some real meaning because like the burning bush, while things may be on fire in Israel figuratively and literally, and more broadly against Jewish communities across the globe, the flames will absolutely not consume us. So thank you so much for all of your support. Bye-bye, Greg. Simon and Donna, Seth, Sissy, thank you so much for your time this morning, this afternoon for you. We are sitting here, and as a synagogue, of course, at certain points, our thoughts turn to prayers. And I want to conclude our conversation this morning by offering our prayers for a speedy recovery for those who were injured in the Western Negev, a safe return for those who have been held captive in Gaza, and prayers that the memories of those who have been lost, Al-Kiddush Hashem, sanctifying the holy name for our people, that should be for a blessing. We continue to wish you courage and strength in the work that you are doing, and with deep gratitude for your time and sharing with us how the Ben University is rallying itself and providing services, and as Seth just suggested, we really couldn't imagine what would be happening if this was happening in South Florida and how the universities would be responding. I would like to think that we would have a similar response, but those of us on this call that there's something special about the institutions in Israel. There's something special about the Negev and the story of the Jewish people bringing the desert to bloom once again. And as we conclude our conversation today, our prayers are just that the desert continue to bloom. Am Yisrael Chaya, our people will continue to live and endure. And we wish everyone continued safety and security. Thank you, everyone. Essential Questions has been made possible by the Temple Beth El Jewish Ideas Incubator, committed to creativity and innovation in modern Jewish life. 
Many thanks to our production team, Jason Reeser, Amanda Brenzel, Jake Harris, Susan Stallone, and Eliza List. Special thanks to Jake Harris for original music and Isabella Tenenboim for the original artwork. You can find this podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, and the Podbean app, as well as on Temple Bethel's website at tbeboka.org slash essentialquestions. You can rate us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you can spread the word, and we certainly want to know what your essential questions are. Email us at eq at tbeboka.org. We look forward to reading your comments and to addressing your ideas in future episodes. I'm Rabbi Dan Levin, and thanks so much for listening to the Essential Questions Podcast. Mm-hmm.